Welcome to our Reconstituted Forecast Direct series. And in this series, we're going to bring you once a month a conversation with a member of the forecast team, a member of the Anderson faculty, and some guest speakers all talking about important issues of the day and bringing their research to bear on this. Uh, you'll be receiving notifications in your email. And to start this off, we're going to have a conversation with Leo Feller. Leo is a new addition to the forecast team. Uh, he was previously at two consulting firms, was on the faculty of Johns Hopkins, has his PhD from Brown University, and is going to be leading our US forecast. But Leo has written an article, you can find that on our website, about the current issues of employees or drivers, depending on your point of view, of Uber and Lyft, and the uh, ruling by the courts on AB5 that the drivers are employees, and the initiative that we'll be voting on here in California shortly about whether the drivers should be exempt from that ruling and treated as independent contractors. So let's start off with Uber and Lyft. Now, we all know what they are. We know that they have changed uh, personal rides for hire in the entire industry. But Leo, why don't you start us out by giving some, some perspective on how big is this? How important is it uh, in the economy, not just of California, but more generally? Jerry, thanks very much for that introduction. I'm thrilled to be joining the, the forecast team uh, and very honored to be part of UCLA Anderson. So Uber and Lyft, they have revolutionized the ground transportation industry. Just in California, just in 2018, our estimate is that they added 171,000 jobs that wouldn't have otherwise existed in ground transportation. And our estimate is that they added $3.3 billion to the California economy for earnings for these drivers that wouldn't have otherwise existed. Um, so these are, these are big numbers. It comes out to about uh, $22,000 per additional Uber and Lyft driver. Um, this is not to mention the, the benefit that they provide to consumers for having this option of being able to take an Uber Lyft versus uh, having to take their own cars versus having to find alternative forms of transportation. Uh, we see that it really increased, it expanded this market uh, for for transportation services. So, um, you know, one of the, the questions that we as economists always ask is, all of these jobs were created. Had they not been created, what would these folks have been doing? So the interesting part for Uber and Lyft is that most of the drivers actually have other sources of income actually have other sources of jobs. So it's not clear to me whether or not they would have simply not had these opportunities for supplemental income. Um, it's, you know, I'm not sure to the extent that they, that there's so low barriers to entry that there would have been alternatives, that these jobs would have been created in some other place. So this may be substitutes uh, for leisure time but leisure time that uh, perhaps was not very valuable to them and they would prefer to drive for a few hours or a few days a week to earn 
additional money. Exactly. And let's, you know, the, there was a recent survey of drivers in California. Uh, and there's some data from uh, two economists, uh, Colin Kruger, that looks at the kind of people that actually participate in, in driving for, for Uber and Lyft. Uh, and so more than half of these work less than 16 hours a week. 84% um, had other full or part-time jobs. So it's, it's and 74% said that they did this for supplemental income. And so these numbers really suggest that the majority of Uber and Lyft drivers are doing this on the side in addition to something else. And this is really taking into leisure time that they would have otherwise been spending, or perhaps some other job, some other part-time job that they might have had, but this is substituted for that. Yeah, so the, so the aggregate is, is uh, not the full story. There's some economic loss, taxi drivers who are now Uber drivers are kind of doing the same thing, but there is significant increase in economic activity substituting leisure time for, uh, for work as an Uber or Lyft driver. Exactly, and actually the, the numbers that I gave you in the beginning of the additional 171,000 jobs and the additional 3.3 billion uh, in earnings that were generated, that is on top of what we forecast would have been the case had these, uh, had these services not come about. So had taxi driving continued the way it had been continuing in the past, this is supplemental to that. Okay, so that's, that's net jobs. Yep. So the court ruled that uh, Uber and Lyft drivers fit the requirements that the state has set out for defining who is an employee and who is a, an independent contractor. Uber and Lyft are sponsoring an initiative uh, to get an exemption. What are kind of the key issues here? Right, so this is Proposition 22. Uh, and Proposition 22, which California voters will decide on November 3rd, basically exempts Uber, Lyft, uh, and other platform drivers. So this also includes delivery services like DoorDash, Uber Eats, mm -hmm. uh, exempts these drivers from being classified as employees. And the key, the key question is who, who has the responsibility of paying for the taxes and benefits associated with these drivers? Is it the companies? Uh, Uber and Lyft and DoorDash uh, and these platforms? Or is it the drivers themselves as contractors, as workers who are essentially their own small business owners, self-employed in a sense, of doing Uber, Lyft, doing DoorDash as if it's their own small business? So in the past, uh, a self-employed person, such as a plumber, uh, who entered a recession and found themselves with slack business, mm. maybe no business, uh, had to rely on their savings. And that was really typical also in the construction industry. There were higher wages in the construction industry because there would be spells of unemployment during recessions. And so that's what independent contractors have done in the past. However, in this recession, what we saw was that Uber and Lyft drivers and the like uh, received unemployment compensation. Right. Even though they didn't pay into the 
unemployment uh, compensation, didn't pay unemployment compensation taxes. So, you know, the kind of two issues there that uh, I'm curious about. One is, uh, this is a social insurance, and the same thing is true with, uh, with other social, social security, for example, or workman's compensation. Uh, and, and the idea is to spread that risk among, uh, for all insurances, to spread the risk on the widest base. And the state is saying, th these folks should be part of that base. In, in the last recession, uh, that price tag, that insurance was picked up by taxpayers, right? So it was a spread over all U.S. taxpayers. So what, what are the, the, do you have thoughts about the equity issues here uh, right. uh, of the exemption or is there something other than just uh, one side or the other? So this recession is also very unique where we specifically wanted to incentivize people not to work. We wanted to incentivize people to stay home and shelter in place, if you will, and try to contain the virus. This is different from other recessions where we wanted people to be you know, out and working and looking for new jobs. Uh, and so the expansion of unemployment to include independent contractors is something that's very novel. It's not clear to me what it means to be unemployed from Uber and Lyft because there's never a point where Uber and Lyft lay off workers or tell people not to drive. There was simply not enough demand for it. And you know, at the point the demand resumes, people can come back on, but there wasn't even the opportunity to do that given that we were sheltering in place and there were no rides. Now, the one thing that's interesting in this case is that where we have seen a big surge is in services like Instacart, Shopify, DoorDash, Uber Eats, all these delivery services that have seen a huge spike in demand where the benefit that you can be an independent contractor means that you can shift from using an Uber or Lyft platform to using one of these delivery platforms and, and working for them instead. And so there is an opportunity to actually work in these other industries and not be unemployed to have these other forms of, of earnings. The, the state does benefit in terms of tax collection from the extra earnings generated from Uber and Lyft. But it comes in the form of income tax payments that these workers are paying on the supplemental income that they're earning that they might not have, have earned if not for the fact that, that Uber and Lyft existed. But you're right in the sense that there's no explicit unemployment insurance tax that they're paying. Is, is there a moral hazard problem? I mean, I'm thinking of long-term capital's failure creating a moral hazard problem with risk-taking on Wall Street. Uh, you, you know, no one likes to have their income reduced with taxes. If you think that you're still covered with unemployment benefits and you don't have to pay unemployment taxes, wouldn't you favor the initiative? But is that kind of the efficient thing to do from uh, an economic analysis point of view? So I think the, the important thing here is to, to consider how often are we going to have a situation like we had this past year where we explicitly wanted to incentivize people to stay home and we wanted to pay them extra to do that. And this is a, you know, perhaps once in a hundred year occurrence where we have this kind of pandemic 
where we want people to to stay home and and you know not not participate in the economy for a period of time. Yeah. And the question so I'm, I'm going to agree with you if the drivers understand that they are not covered in the future. I'm not sure that they understand that. But let's let's move on to some other issues. Okay. Uh, one that uh, is uh, kind of interesting to me is let's suppose that the initiative fails. Mm. So now uh, platforms have to uh, pay into the state unemployment compensation and workman's compensation uh, their share. Uh, and so they're going to have to raise prices to cover that or at least somehow cover it, right? Right. They could cover it through, through reduced profits. Mm -hmm. They could cover it in some way through um, requiring drivers to be more efficient and, and sort of pushing it down onto the drivers. So, you know, it's what we economists call incidents of the, uh, of the tax and where that is. Um, but it'd be interesting to know the magnitude of it. You know, is this a 1% increase in fares or 10%? Do we have any sense as to how much this would be, let's say for a 15 minute ride, which I guess is about what most rides are. So Uber came out with an estimate for this and they're saying that prices would increase anywhere from 25% to doubling to 100%. And the increase would be more in places where uh, it's more rural, uh, there's fewer rides happening, and uh, essentially drivers are more idle and they're driving with more occasional. Uh, but their estimate was you know, anywhere from a 25% to a doubling of prices to actually shift employees to being, or drivers to being employees. Um, this isn't just paying into the, the state's tax system. Right. This is also going to be the, the overhead and admin and management costs and supervision costs of actually having a team of employees that you now have to uh, dictate where, when, and how they drive. And you have to manage the supply of drivers at any given point in time. Um, so so that's, that's their estimate, right? 25 to 100% uh, increase in prices. And their estimate is that this would reduce demand in trips by 20 to 60 percent. So we could see a really large decline in the number of consumers uh, taking these trips. So that's one piece of data and it's from Uber. Um, we have another piece of data that every 10 percent price increase leads to about 8 to 25 percent decline in ridership. Um, the amount of the increase, it really depends on the, the benefits that these employees are getting. Right, so the more generous the benefits, the more the, the prices would need to increase, uh, all things equal. So, so you brought up a whole bunch of things that I'd like to talk about. Uh, and and uh, let's start with, so the administrative costs. Right. And in your article, which I urge everyone to read, you talk about uh, putting these administrative costs as well as the costs of insurance onto the drivers. So the drivers would pay something like a gross receipts tax uh, and, and that would be the contribution to the insurance funds uh, so that they would be covered and get their benefits, but it wouldn't go through, uh, through the platform. Uh, if the estimates, let's take the estimates from Uber at face value, 
I'm not sure we want to, but let's do it. Uh, that would mean a 25% pay cut for drivers, right? Because they have the, they have the hassle of filing uh, and they don't have any economies of scale of filing. Everybody has to do it all themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's probably even more costly. Uh, and, and they have to pay the taxes. So wouldn't you find that, you know, going back to where we started, that these are people who are trading leisure time for, for driving for the extra income. Certainly at the margin, you're going to have drivers who say, it's just not worth it. It's too much of a hassle. And right. maybe a significant number of drivers, uh, maybe more in rural communities where they don't have as many rides. So don't you get the same effect? whether it's on the drivers or on Uber? So not exactly. The drivers already pay taxes because they get these 1099s that they then file when they're filing their own taxes. And so it would be in addition to the 1099s that they're getting, are there any supplemental taxes that they now have to, to, um, to file, right? But so, so they'll have lower income, but the administrative costs won't be as dire as I just described. So they essentially already have the administrative costs in the sense that as 1099 contractors, they receive this income. Hopefully most of them are keeping receipts for gas, are keeping receipts for uh, their car depreciation, uh, for car maintenance, and deducting these as business expenses. So they already do this anyway, uh, or okay. hopefully should be doing this anyway. Um, and this is any incremental tax filings that they would have. Now, the suggestion that, that I have is that this shouldn't necessarily be passed on to drivers, but there could be a surcharge, which is just the equivalent of raising the fares on, on passengers. And so we've actually seen other cities and other states uh, implement taxes on ride shares. Uh, and so the city of Chicago, for example, has several different taxes that get baked into the price that the consumer pays that will pay for different kinds of services. Um, so one, for example, uh, is a congestion surcharge. There's a different price, a different tax that the city of Chicago will impose during peak times to discourage people from taking Uber and Lyft as opposed to taking public transit. And so in that same way, the state of California, different cities, different counties, could, if they wanted to, impose a tax on these rideshares that would pay for benefits to the drivers. And what those benefits will be, it's up to the policy to come up with. So, so um, th there's one other topic I want to get into before we run out of time, but uh, I think your suggestion is that were the, uh, the prop if the proposition passes, the state has an option to have a independent contractor slash platform uh, worker be taxed separately so as to cover the social insurance? Well, to implement it similar to a sales tax, right? The same way there's a sales tax on service, mm -hmm. have a tax yeah. on, on Uber and Lyft rides. So, I mean, it's, it's a gross receipts tax. Right. As opposed to an income tax. Yes, and it can be paid by the user of the service, not necessarily the, right. Right. the, the driver. Uh, the, so the other, the other topic that I'd like to get into, and I urge our listeners to, to read the paper, um, Uber and Lyft lose money. The only reason they can lose money is because they have uh, venture capital that's supporting them and they're burning through the venture capital. 
that's not a sustainable business model. They're going to have to raise prices. How much are they going to have to raise prices uh, relative to what they would have to raise if they uh, start paying these payroll taxes for their drivers? Yeah, so that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Brought that up. I think Uber and Lyft, the fact that they don't make money is correct, but as a, they don't make money as a whole. On the rideshare portion, Uber actually makes a profit. And if you then include Uber Eats, Uber Freight, some of the new technology initiatives that, that Uber is implementing, the entirety of Uber is unprofitable, but the rideshare portion itself just became profitable. Um, they actually earned about 750 million in the last three months of 2019 before the pandemic. Uh, and so actually, let me, let me correct that. They were profitable until the pandemic, right? So <laughs> assuming in normal times, um, you know, the Uber rideshare portion is profitable uh, and Lyft was slated to become profitable late this year, early 2021. Uh, again, if, if not for the pandemic. Um, so the rideshare piece itself has matured and is at a point where it's right at the break-even point. But that means that if we then increase the cost, if we then impose uh, all the, the associated costs of having employees, not just paying the taxes, but managing and supervising employees, then, then their costs go up. And in order for them to uh, break even or be profitable, they have to pass those on to, uh, to consumers or they have to decrease compensation for drivers to, for it to be done. Or, or the incidents could be on the investors. Right. And so, but investors are only so patient for so long. So, so far, so far they've been willing to incur losses. Correct. But, uh, you know, as, as with the minimum wage, we just did a minimum wage study over the last four years. In fact, we'll, we'll talk about that on a future forecast direct. Uh, but, um, but the incidents can be split, right? With some on the drivers, some on the investors, uh, some on the customers, uh, especially late night customers coming back from drinking establishments if they ever reopen. Right. Yeah. So, Leo, thanks for, for joining in this first Forecast Direct and uh, really taking charge of the Forecast Direct and moving us forward. Uh, and I look forward to going back and rereading the paper after our discussion. Thanks very much, Jerry. Thanks for the excellent questions. And I hope this was useful and, and informative.